You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on, one around back, Arizona. It is Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, second Saturday of the month, so we are talking trees with ISA Arborist John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service. If you'd like to join the conversation, one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. You can text questions to 411923, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse.com. I-N-F-O at Rosie, R-O-S-I-E, on the house.com. And in fact, we already have emails that came in yesterday, John. <laughs> Good. Uh, our weekly newsletter goes out on Thursdays with a preview of the lineup, what's coming up on Saturday's broadcast. And we've got some homeowners in Tucson with three different trees. They're looking for some advice on uh, on planting. In fact, they actually came out and joined us live at the Saba Home Show. Cool. Last uh, Saturday when we were broadcasting live there. So we've got calls already in queue, and you actually will have a guest from Tucson joining us here in a little bit. Yep. It's great. We've got a, a good lineup today. We've got lots to talk about for this time of year. Um, things are slowing down a little bit um, in terms of our pruning requirements for trees, but uh, this time of year is great for planting trees, for transplanting trees, for doing some fertilization. We'll talk a little bit about those uh, as we go along. Um, man, this rain's been awesome. <laughs> it's uh, the rain. Tre- the trees and plants are going to be really fired up right now. There's a. I was walking in my orchard last night, and there was the Anna apples were pushing out new growth. Nice. <laughs> I, I think so. We're going into a dormant season for apples, and they're pushing out new growth from all this rain, and it's I still know. warm. They need it, and you know <laughs> that that that, that uh, reserve of, of of water availability uh, does. Uh, translate into new leaf, new vegetative growth, which the plants need to photosynthesize, to create the, the energy reserves they need to survive. And water is a big component of that. And if the trees are a little short on the, the seasonal rain, they just kind of hunker down and hold on. But man, if they get a late uh, summer or early fall rain like this, they're going to push a little bit of growth, even though it's uh, late in the season. Uh, I was just looking up on the hillside above our, our office yesterday and uh, typical of a lot of the, the uh, Phoenix Mountains, uh, which are dotted with our foothill Palaverdes, and they look so lush and green. And I mean, they're just loving it. They just soak it up, you know, with these nice lingering rains like that storm we had, that uh, uh, tail end of the Hurricane Rosa. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a good thing for all of our plants. It's so, so nice, too, because some of us, you know, we have our drip irrigation systems, and they do a fair a fair job of, of watering. You have to be pretty good at, at learning how to use a drip irrigation system well to be able to get the depth of saturation that we need. And quite often, uh, they're not tuned up and quite as uh, functional as they should be. So we rely up upon these sometimes supplemental watering. I'll often put a hose out on one of my some of our larger trees or a soaker hose, uh, which I used quite a bit this summer on a couple of my pine trees that were distressed with that uh, that that blight that they had, uh, but it's sure nice to get a nice deep soaking, because there's nothing uh, n- you can't really improve on, uh, just a natural rainfall to kind of saturate the uh, um, the root zone of these larger trees that really can't be very effectively uh, irrigated with just a, uh, a drip a drip emitter system even even when it's functioning well. It's a different green. They turn almost instantly. <laughs> well, you know, it recharges the water table, recharges our, our reservoir systems. And, I mean, it's so nice to have 
uh, a, a region-wide uh, rain like this because it's, uh, um, it's doing a lot of good for the state. The bird populations are going to be flourishing. Wildlife is going to – everybody benefits from a, a good rain. I was driving out to Palo Verde yesterday, and I looked down at my maps, and I was on the satellite vision. I'm like, man, this is uh, – you know, it, it was just brown. You know, the satellite image yeah, in Arizona, yeah. and I. But I look up, and the creosotes are so green. The blanket nice. floor on the desert yeah. is green from all the yeah. you know weeds that are popping up. It, it's like you you look at the satellite image and it's brown, and you look up and it's it's not even the same yeah. place. <laughs> well, last you know for the last six years, a, a group of us go hiking and hunting up at Apache Lake every December, and. We noticed last year all the jojobas, um, these the the the, ba- the the main browse uh, shrub for deer were all dry. I mean, there was about about fifty percent of the shrubs were all dry. They weren't dead, but they had dry leaves on them. They were all wilted and uh, just really struggling. And this year, I, we know that's going to change. But in years past, we noticed that they were nice and green and full. But that, that last year, this drought's really taken a toll, but this is going to be a big help. I bet this year, when we head back up there again, it's going to be nice and green. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're going to find a, a whole new yeah. – uh, you, you're not even going to feel like you're in the same place. You're like, wait, this doesn't yeah. feel right. This doesn't feel well, right. You know, and, and the one other um, effect is going to be the wildflowers in the spring. When we have a good, you know, a nice wet winter, um, it really produces a, a great crop of – wildflowers in the spring so it should be a a banner year if this continues like this every month when you come in we talk about a specific tree we have the tree of the month which one are we highlighting today well this is one of my favorite trees of all time and it is it is the uh, pistache pistache or i'm sorry it's the pomegranate this 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 time i I, they're two of my favorite pea trees pistache and pomegranate but pomegranates are a wonderful plant in every respect. It's really considered a large shrub or a small tree. You can grow it either way. You can kind of grow them up to be pretty pretty tall. You know, mine's about 15 feet tall in my yard. They can grow up to be 20 or 25 feet at maturity. Pretty slow growing, but they, they're multi-stemmed. They grow up from the ground, uh, you know, with multiple stems, so they are a great screening plant. We use one, kind of separates our pool area from the little back garden area beyond it, and and it's nice and full. And, of course, because it's producing fruit, you want it to be nice, the branches to be nice and low right to the ground so it's easy for easy access for pruning or for, for picking the fruit. And What kind of fruit do you get off of? Uh... Well, the, we're going to talk a little bit later this morning with someone who can answer that question oh, even okay. better than okay. I can, but I will take a shot at that. What kind of fruit can you get off pomegranates? Well, there are... a uh, over a dozen okay. varieties of pomegranates, and they they're uh, all fruit producing, um, and but of various sizes and qualities and and tastes. And there's a, a few that are commonly available in, in our nurseries that produce a wonderful uh, pomegranate, much this the same size and color that you can get in the stores. And they're uh, beautiful, edible edible uh, um, fruit trees are giving you something back on your investment. And this is one of those trees that. I would. Um, I, I think every yard needs a little pomegranate tree. They're easy to easy to to grow, much easier than citrus even. 
just throw them in the ground. They'll grow up. They're deciduous trees, too, so they'll give you a little bit of fall color in, in this time of year. They'll start to lose their leaves uh, just about now and uh, and start keep losing leaves all the way through November and be pretty much uh, bare by December. And But they're just a great, uh, great fruit tree, and this is a time of year that, that we harvest the fruit. They they have to be easy to grow because they even grow in my backyard. There you go. <laughs> now I need to see the YouTube thing again because I still haven't figured out your easy way of eating them. They yeah. are they are more trouble to eat than crawfish. I know, I know. As a kid, I remember you know opening those things up and picking out those seeds one at a time and thought. I mean, it was kind of a a, a slow a way to keep a, a a young kid busy for for a half an hour. My mom would probably give me one of those and have me go sit in a corner and pick through those. But there is an easier way to open those up and get all the seeds out within about two or three minutes. And I have a YouTube video. Look it up, uh, pomegranate uh, John Eisenhower on YouTube, and you'll probably find that there. And it's kind of a fun method of, of popping them open and op- and uh, getting all those seeds out. And uh, yeah, they're a a great addition to any yard, and this would be a great time to plant them too. Anytime this, uh, all deciduous trees can be planted in the winter, you know, turning the corner now into the cooler weather, uh, you can pick them up at a local nursery, uh, maybe even some bare roots uh, uh, plants available uh, as we um, head into December and January. Would they register on the lethal meter, I wonder? <laughs> the lethal meter. The lethal meter. I, I I don't think so. Oh, because uh, the lethal meter covers uh, Oak Creek, Flagstaff, the Flagstaff Arboretum. You're not going to get pomegranates growing that high elevation, are you? You know, that's a, that's another good question because the pomegranate festival, which was held last Saturday, last Sunday, unfortunately, we were. I had planned to go, but because of the big storm we had, I wasn't sure the the roads were going to be good. There was so much uh, flash flood warning. We ended up not going, but uh, it was held in uh, Skull Valley this year. Lots of good pomegranates up there, and uh, Barbara will give us a little bit of a rundown on that when we have her on in our next uh, segment. Sounds good. Is Skull Valley back like between off of Iron Springs, uh, out uh, of uh, Prescott? Iron Springs, off, yeah, right out of Prescott. Skull Valley. Huh. Yeah, it was held in Ajo last year, and it moves around every year, apparently, and I'm going to definitely be a, a part of it as soon as we can, maybe next year. We'll put that on our on our events list, the Pomegranate Festival. All right, I, I meant to bring you a couple, and I know you have a couple yourself, but I want to show you, ours is, I'm going to say it's finally about the five-foot height range, and it had... Couple. 30 beautiful nice. pomegranates on it that uh, all look about perfect. Because that's the, the one thing that, um, <laughs> h- how do you know when it's right? Well, color's going to tell you that. And you might have to taste one. Usually the birds will also tell you because they're going to start pecking them. When they start getting a little bit larger, uh, they can get the, 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 uh, the outer skin can get a little bit um, brittle as they are facing toward the sun. And sometimes the birds will get in there and start to peck them open because they're testing them too. That's all they're doing. They're testing them, and if they start o- opening those up and taking quite a bit of seeds, you'll know they're they're ready to go. Uh, a, a little secret that we found is that to keep the birds out of them, um, you can put a small paper bag around them, just a little a little lunch bag. Those little small ones, you can just kind of put it over each individual fruit, and just uh, put a, a food tie or rubber band around the top uh, at the at the branch that they're attached to, and and you can just keep the birds out. Then you can keep you know keep a few of them exposed so the birds will go go after those, and then you'll be uh, um, when when you're ready to harvest them you can just take the bag off and you're ready to go. 
All right, we've got Nancy on the line who wants to talk about a mesquite tree. We've got your guest from Tucson, Barbara, out of Tucson as well, on the line. An open line at one 767 4348 That's one 888 for you if you'd like to talk trees. His bark and bite, they're about the same. Talking trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. Well, we've got a number of calls lined up. We've got text coming in. We've got emails in, a lot of tree questions, and we're going to start running through them. But we're also going to introduce a guest that you've uh, arranged to join us on air for the next two segments as well. John, why don't you go ahead and introduce your guest? Well, I'd like to. Um, hi, Barbara. How are you? I'm fantastic. It's raining. Oh, it's good. We, we had a little rain this morning. It was so nice. Um, Barbara Eisworth is a friend of mine from Tucson. She coordinates volunteers that, that actually go around and collect fruit that other people don't have a need for. She registers people, pri- mainly private uh, homeowners, who have fruit that they want they want they'll allow other people to glean and it helps to put unwanted get unwanted fruit out of our landfills and into the mouths of uh, appreciative folks who can use it and uh, Barbara I'll let you tell a little bit more about your organization can you do that for us I can I'm a passionate change maker here in Tucson um, the founder and director of Ishkashita Refugee Network where community integration is at our core we're attacking two issues at Ishkishita. First, UN refugees struggle to become integrated members of our community. And second, the overall lack of access to fresh local produce for the one and four people in Arizona who suffer from hunger. This includes some 40,000 UN refugees that live between Pima and Maricopa counties. Ishkashita means working cooperatively together in Somali, which is the first ethnic group I worked with back in 2003. And since then, refugees and volunteers have worked together to harvest over a million pounds of produce from backyards, farms, and orchards, which is then donated to food banks, schools, soup kitchens, and hundreds of refugee families. By marrying these two challenges, we're able to break down social isolation many refugees face increase self-sufficiency and food security, and drastically reduce Tucson's food waste through action and education. Uh, so that sums it up, That's John. pretty cool. And I, was, and I heard you have some festivals from time to time and get, get everyone together and, and, and swap recipes and do some actual food preparation using the glean fruit. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, because uh, Tucson... Uh, Tucson Tucson Meet Yourself, our biggest festival of the year, is going on as we speak in the rain. Um, and we had a chant going uh, yesterday, with, which, which was something like this. Got no rain, you got no food. You got no rain, you got no food. <laughs> so <laughs> um, we were demonstrating yesterday from Afghani Kadu that can made, be made with the billions of pumpkins and native squashes left in the fields after Halloween in every um, pumpkin patch or urban pumpkin patches where the, the Charlie Brown pumpkins and squash are left over mm-hmm. at, at your corner corner vacant lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and we uh, demonstrated uh, Bhutanese pomegranate pickles. It's a quick pickle. We call it pickle de gallo because that's what it tastes like. 
but without tomatoes or onions. It's just pomegranate. Wow. And last week in Skull Valley, which elevation is over 4,200 feet, and where we visited the Rafael de Granada's um, ranch, where they have 70, yes, 70 varieties of pomegranates growing over 4,200 feet. Wow. So, um, and there's a lot more, and she's she's bound to uh, travel the world and get the rest of the varieties that she doesn't already have. Wow. That's, what is the, what is the um, upper limits of the elevation range for pomegranates? So, Raphael will be able to tell us in a couple, a couple years which ones do well. Mm-hmm. Also, the University of Arizona um, Cooperative Extension, um, let's see if I can get this correct. Um, I can't come up with the names, but I, uh, I, Ursula Shook yes. and Glenn Wright. Mm-hmm. Um, we're doing um, three ex- had three experimental plots with pomegranates in Bo- Bowie or Bowie, Arizona, mm-hmm. Tucson, and Yuma. So drastically different um, climate um, regimes there, and they've got some interesting results. What happens when you vary the rain and the elevation um, and chill hours? So uh, that information is. Um, available through Cooperative Extension. University. Right, I'm thinking maybe that you know 5,000 foot range might be the upper limit, but maybe not. Maybe yeah. you could grow them up in Flagstaff as well. We'll find out. Sounds like they've got a test coming up. We've got uh, bottom of the hour news right upon us, but Nancy's in Tucson wants to talk about saving her tree. Dave's in Mesa wants to talk about a tree choice. Alicia, as in Phoenix, wants to talk about irrigation. We've got a number of texts as well, so we'll see. And Barbara's how- going to stay on with us over the hour over to the next segment. Wonderful. We've Yeah, we've got her on hold. We'll make sure we get to get her back on the air with us as well. But one question I have for... Uh, or one interesting thing, she's talked about, you know, food waste, not going in landfills or anything, but I bet in a lot of cases like that, it would keep the rat infestation that some of those old citrus groves had hit, you know, an sure. application like that would help control the, uh, rat rodent population, po- yeah. <laughs> population yeah, that, that moves fruit in. up off the ground. Sure. Absolutely. More hands to help do that. So, it's Rosie on the house with you every Saturday morning, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. On this beautiful Saturday morning, we're joined with Nancy. Wants to talk about her mesquite tree. Welcome to the program. How may we help you? Well, first of all, I want to say kudos to Barbara. And now to you, I've got to say I'm honored to actually be speaking with you. Uh, Rosie and Jennifer have been great to get me to you. And the subject is my 30-year-old healthy and really beautiful mesquite tree. Uh, The uh, roots are very strong, and they're starting to lift up uh, the 35 yards of flagstone hardscaping that is my patio. And in addition to that, some of the roots are pushing out cemented stones from the stone border along the actual garden. So, and also the tree leans rather far to one side with heavy uh, branches touching into the stucco fence where I've noticed cracks. 
So mm-hmm. this is my dilemma, and I'm very emotional about it. Uh, I don't know whether to cut down this gorgeous tree or to try to just fix this situation. Someone told me I could just cut the roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I saw the photos that you sent through earlier this week, Nancy, and we um, the options are are there's there's several. You can you can remove the tree uh, and grind the stump out, uh, and uh, and then do the repair work on the flagstone. Um, there are you know, or you could live with that. A lot of people have pavers and stonework that's been lifted. But they love their trees, and they keep them, and they live with the undulating um, brickwork or pavers um, just because they're willing to kind of live with a, a small trip hazard like that or um, because they just can't bear the thought of having to take the tree out. You can dig down occasionally and do some root pruning, uh, but you have to be pretty careful, of course. You, the closer you are to the, to the trunk of the tree— the base of the tree, the more uh, difficult it is because the you're removing large roots that, that not only have some absorption absorption capacity, but they also are stabilizing the tree. So if you start making large cuts on roots uh, very close to the tree, there's uh, a, a risk of destabilizing the tree or, or causing it to decline or possibly die. There are, if you're far enough away from the tree, uh, you, sometimes you can cut the roots and then install a root barrier which is a usually a, a plastic type material that is uh, s- put down into the trench. You trench along and cut the roots at a pr- you know predetermined uh, location, and then you s- put the this um, uh, barrier in uh, two or three feet deep uh, along the trench, and that deflects the roots. So any r- roots that that grow from that point on will hit that barrier, and they won't go beyond it. So you can protect uh, a hardscape or a fence. Uh, beyond a root barrier. <clears throat> we have done installed many, many root barriers over the years, and they're very, very successful. You just have to have the right um, distance from the tree to make sure that it doesn't uh, harm the tree when you when you make those large cuts. Mm-hmm. And you had How said far it's, away are you talking about in making a large cut? Well, if you're only cutting on one side of the tree and you're only trenching, <clears throat> excuse me, on one side of a tree, you can be pretty close. Normally, they... Uh, they I- indicate one foot of distance from the tree for every one inch of trunk diameter measured at about chest height. So about four or five feet off the ground, if the, if the tree is 20 inches in diameter, you should avoid any, any um, uh, damage to the roots at a, uh, within 20 feet of the tree. So you're, you're, you can see that you've got to have a, a long ways away. And at that point, outside that 20-foot radius, the, the roots are so small that it's inconsequential in terms of the health it of the tree. It can still recover. Any that being said, many a lot of work has been done inside that what we call the critical root zone, the CRZ. A lot of work has been done inside that 20-foot radius on single sides of a tree with no known harm to the tree because you're only cutting on one. If you did, did that same amount of work on three or four sides of a tree, of course, working inside that CRZ could really be harmful to the tree. But if you're only working on one side, like like yours, Nancy, you have the fence on the one side. And uh, how, how far is it from the tree to that fence? By the way, I couldn't tell from the picture. Uh, it's about uh, three feet. Oh gosh, it is really close. I thought I was hoping uh. it was more like six or eight. Um, but uh, the fence was beyond the the tree in the photo, and I really couldn't tell the distance. Three feet away, yeah. that's that's almost impossible to get in there 
and use a trencher and cut along that fence. Um, with a tree planted that close to that wall, I'm afraid that um, uh, you don't that that option really isn't there to try to put a root barrier in in such a close distance. You could try it. You could get in there and and just go for it, and uh, but there would be a risk of destabilizing the tree. But if it's it's if it's a matter of saving the wall, uh, that may be your only option. And if the tree failed, then you would have had to take the tree out anyway. And depending on what's on the other side of that wall, instead of cut, is it a neighbor's house or if it's open to the alley or something open? If it's not hurting anything on the other side, we can always unstack that wall. Just put a lintel over it and restack it, and you'll have a gap between the wall base and the ground that you can put, you know, chicken wire or whatever to keep animals from passing through. But right, you, know, you, you could just restructure that wall so it's re-leveled and right you, you can the take that take alone. that one section of wall out and then as uh, Romy said put a lintel or a beam across the the, the 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 pilasters and then build the wall on top of that beam and leave a gap there for the roots to grow underneath and that's that's been done successfully as well well we appreciate the call hope that helps and good luck saving the mesquite tree that is hard losing uh, a nice huge uh, shade tree that I know already got a little bit of a co- well we actually connection built, to. we actually got permission from our neighbor and we built the wall into his yard six feet into his yard so we had to get an exception on our title on our property to, and to actually build into his wall because he wanted to keep the tree too but it was destroying our wall so we took it out and actually built a little a little uh, uh, a little section out into the neighbor's property now we both enjoy the shade of that tree it's there are options, but you have to get cooperation of the neighbors across the way. Let's see how we can help Dave, who wants to talk about selecting a tree from Mesa. Welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Uh, thanks so much. So um, <clears throat> our home faces uh, south, and uh, along the walkway, we're wanting to plant a tree, but it can't be a really huge tree. So in terms of uh, size, we're thinking like a purple plum, only not that color, something uh, green and it, it was planted on rock, so uh, something that isn't dropping leaves year round. Uh, so, reasonably compact and uh, green leaf color. Any ideas? Yeah, green leaf colors. Are, you know, are you looking for a fruit tree? Something that's going to give you a little bit. I of... You know, I don't. I don't necessarily think uh, fruit tree. It it's it's kind of in a a little bit like in a corner. So the heat is is uh, pretty intense in the summer because it doesn't have a lot of air movement. Well, I'm thinking something like a desert orchid or um, even a cascalote might be nice. The uh, uh, You've got, those are really nice and green in color. Even the pomegranate that we talked about just now. Is yeah, a, you know, I was listening to the show and I pulled that picture up and that would be kind of fun. Yeah, and they're, um, they're just... What was know, the second one that you mentioned? Um, what did I just say? The uh, <laughs> I, don't mean, I couldn't spell. Oh you no, the cos- it's, a, it's a cascalote. It's a cascalote. It's C A S C A L O T E. Cascalote. It's. Cascal- I've never heard of that. Yeah, they're a, quite a nice tree. Even the there's there's two varieties that we like. It's a Cecilpinia cacalaco, which is that cascalote, and the, and the Cecilpinia mexicana, which is a Mexican bird of paradise. They both grow, you know, that would be a, th- a third one I would add to that list, that Mexican bird of paradise has a nice dark green leaf. And, uh, and again, it's in that kind of 
a 10 to 15 foot uh, height range, which is just perfect for a small location. Again, uh, a, a great resource for you would be uh, a website, uh, amwua.org, amwua.org. That's Arizona Municipal Water Users Association website. And look up their landscape trees, and they've got some color photos of a, a bunch of really great trees in that, in that height range. Wonderful. We appreciate the call, Dave. Good luck with your tree selection and planting. Uh, if you are putting in a new tree like Dave is, and you've got to get water to it, are you drip or other? What's your preferred irrigation option? Well, I prefer using bubblers because you really can't improve on flood irrigation. It mimics nature better than any other type of watering. You do have to contain the flood irrigation by creating a berm, but that's not very difficult to do, you know, whether it's at a three-foot radius or a six-foot radius or a 10- or 12-foot radius. You can create a, a berm so that the water, when it flows out of the bubbler, will flood the ground, uh, uh, you know, over the, root, over the root zone of the tree, and, and slightly beyond it is I- ideal so that it will encourage root development out into the native soil. But yeah, the, that's really my preferred method of um, irrigation is is using bubblers. You can accomplish the same thing with a drip irrigation system, but you have to really, like I said earlier in the program, you got to really get it dialed in. And the the, the secret is to is to uh, allow those stations to run as long as you can, so you get a very deep saturation, and then don't water as often. You know the idea the the idea of Watering for five minutes a day every day is is a terrible method of of delivering water, because it just creates a very shallow um, saturation and it's just not as effective. So, and you want you want your the distance between you want the the soil between your emitters also to be saturated, not just these little spots. You want your irrigation saturation patterns to coalesce. They need to they need to touch one another. So you need to run the water long enough so that the horizontal saturation of the water actually touches the horizontal saturation pattern of the emitter nearby. So you're getting a nice coverage of water. So if you can do that and you can do it well, um, drip is, is a, is a, is a, can be a more economical uh, way to, to deliver that water, but you've got to do it well. All right. It's, it's funny you can ask a lot of people, and that, that opinion varies quite widely. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just don't think you can improve on flood irrigation. If, you can, uh, if you've got trees, that's really the, the best way. The Shrub, best shrubs, it's a lot easier to use drip, of course, because their root systems are so much smaller. Well, let's bring your guest, Barbara, back on the line from Tucson. I'm not even going to say the name of the organization. I heard it's okay. pronounced twice, I mean, and I still couldn't get it. I think it's it. Ishkashita. Is that right, Barbara? That's correct. That's how it's spelled. Yes, and can you tell us, uh, uh, you know, if people wanted to get a hold of you, um, where would they, um, is there a website that they could contact you just to reach out to find out about the gleaning program in Tucson and how they might be able to register if they've got some fruit in their backyard and would like to uh, um, uh, uh, donate it? Yes, Uh, we um, have an online registration at www.iskashita.org, that's I-S-K-A-S-H-I. T-A-A, or if you can't remember that, you can do a redirect, which is um, harvesttucson.org. Leads you to the same site. You go to donate, and you go, but it's not, uh, you're not committed to donating, letting us know that you have a tree, and maybe you'll have 
donations uh, five years down the road. Sure. I'm sure if they even even Googled Tucson Gleaning, they'll probably find your Iskashita website. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're on all social media as well and very active. What I... um, providing recipes and information about what we are gleaning. We glean twice a week, every Wednesday and every Friday, um, starting at 9 a.m. So you could use some volunteers to come help do some of that gleaning? Yes, we could use volunteers on those those days, and we're, we're just starting a program where we're teaching um, teaching community members to be our fruit spies. So especially with the lesser known and smaller trees, such as jujube, um, even pomegranate. Uh, mm-hmm. People don't know that they're edible or don't use them. We want people to take the pomegranate pledge and stop food waste by making us aware of what's out there. Well, Barbara, thank you again for your time. The expert that's brave enough to say the word deciduous. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. You've got a couple points there from our October's to-do list. What haven't we covered in this broadcast? Well, just a reminder that October is the fourth and final citrus tree fertilization application gets done. Um, we uh, Also, it's a great time of, of year to do fertilization. If you're only going to do an annual fertilization just to kind of keep your, your, your uh, nitrogen levels up, if you've been raking all of your leaves throughout the, the, the course of the year and you... Uh, uh, it just do, are doing a general um, fertilizer application annually, we really recommend fall to be that time of, of year to do that. And we still have about a month or so uh, to, while well, the soil temperatures are relatively warm, uh, to get that fertilizer down. The reason they recommend f- fall fertilization is because it allows the uh, plant to recharge uh, during the fall for a, a really great uh, spring push of growth. Uh, root systems, even though the tops of the trees can be in, in a dormancy, uh, the root systems remain active in the soil because the soil is still warmer uh, and, and insulated from the cold weather. And the research has shown that uh, there's a lot of uh, activity going on within the root system right through the winter. So there, the, um, the root system can be processing that fertilizer, those nutrients, and, and storing them, utilizing them and, and getting ready for a, the spring push of growth. And the uh, research has indicated that it's a great time of year to do that for those reasons. Uh, if you fertilize later, say in spring or in, in early summer, you're almost playing catch up because the tree has had to use its stored nutrients for that first spring push of growth. And then you're kind of fertilizing after the fact. And so uh, it, it's a, a good idea to go, go ahead and do that fertilizing now um, and then the, the tree is going to be able to really utilize that um, uh, in the spring. The other um, just tip of the month is just to remember to be a little uh, more light, a little lighter um, on the pruning for any of your frost sensitive trees like like citrus, um, uh, your ficus trees, your um, your orchid trees, Hong Kong orchid, and some of your other flowering trees that are a little more frost sensitive. Just be careful you're not. Uh, uh, pruning them back too heavily. 
Uh, they can just be groomed and shaped, uh, but just leave as, as full a crown as you can. You don't want to remove a tree's winter coat, so to speak, this time of year. Other more vigorous trees can re, re, uh, can uh, be pruned a little more heavily. Uh, just the uh, those that are putting on uh, veg, you know, uh, uh, foliage a little more vigorously, like your mesquites or your eucalyptus or your sumacs and others, uh, they can be pruned a little more heavily because they can replace that foliage more quickly. But just be a little more sensitive as the season goes on. Just be reducing the dosage of pruning right through the winter, and then as we turn the corner into the spring, you can start increasing that dosage of pruning for almost all the trees. The last thing I would mention is just to, this is a great time of year to be composting. I've mentioned this uh, several times throughout the year, but it, it bears repeating that compost is a, uh, just a wonderful uh, way to, uh, it's it's a wonderful way to, to return to the soil all the, uh, the 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 nutrients that are lost by raking our leaves up, you can take those leaves. If you don't want them just scattered around your yard, um, uh, you can pile them up. And remember, you don't have to be too good at this. You can just put leaves, rake them up into a pile, find a corner of the yard somewhere. You can build a compost bin if you want, and there's many designs. Or you can just put them in a pile. Compost happens, so just leave it there. If it gets too slimy, you need to add a little bit of brown leaf material. If it gets too dry, you need to add a little bit of green. It's a combination of the carbon and the nitrogen, the brown leaves and the green leaves, that makes the compost happen. And as the pile gets bigger and bigger, there will be some combustion. It'll be internal combustion. It'll start to, to happen. It'll start to cook inside that pile. And that's the, the, the magic of compost. It'll start to create a beautiful um, uh, material that's, uh, going to be able to be returned back to your flower beds. You can use it for planting. You can use it for as a top dressing over the root zone of your trees and shrubs. But compost is a, is a, a, a great way to um, reduce the soil temperature around your trees. It will re, uh, encourage you know, nutrient recycling. It'll improve the microbiology within the soil underneath the, the compost. Uh, it, it reduces dust. It keeps the weeds down. I mean, there's so many good reasons to put that compost back around your, your yard. So get that compost pile started now, and uh, you'll be really happy in the spring. You'll have some wonderful magic stuff to spread through your yard. A lot of these resources available at itreeservice.com. Yes, itreeservice.com. Click on the calendar, and it has by month the things you uh, could be doing, or you could tune in the second Saturday of every month here at Rosie on the House as we walk through them. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service.